Hello everyone, this is Brie Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. I am speaking with Naomi Oppenheim, a 19-year-old young woman from Santa Cruz, California, about her recovery from an eating disorder. How's it going, Naomi? It's going good. I'm good. a little sleepy, but it's okay. What's, what's that? I said I'm a little sleepy, but it's okay. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's early for you there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that we could chat today because... I think that you were such an amazing um, role model for young women in particular who are sort of moving through the motions of an eating disorder or just sort of struggling with their recovery and just sort of trying to find what it is to make that leap in the dark and really make it through. And so I'm just so excited and inspired by the journey that I've been able to go on, you know, vicariously Mm. through you over the last 16 Mm -hmm. months as I've sort of witnessed Mm. your your amazing progress and opening yeah yeah thank you yeah (laughs) you're welcome so I just love to hear from you a little bit about um well I mean let's just start with why you made the choice to recover I think I met you at Karma Library Foundation's parent Mm. education series in March of 2016 and um I know that you've been on a journey so yeah just tell me about about what prompted what prompted you to really dig deep and find what it took to to really take those big scary steps of recovery? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess it's like when I think back to it, I think I really like made the choice to recover for I don't know the wrong reasons or like not the most authentic reasons before I really made the choice to recover for like authentic reasons. Okay. Like I think, um, when I met you, like I was very much living by the idea that I was in recovery without like actually being (laughs) in recovery, you know, I feel like Uh that's a phrase that a lot of people go through where it's like, I'm in recovery, but I I don't have an eating disorder and I'm just, you know, like I'm still going to do all the things that my eating disorder wants me to do, but I'm in recovery. Right. And like, I think it was just, I don't know. I like, I really... I knew that I like wanted to live a life of like a healthy person. And I knew that I had a lot of healing to do and like had a, um, like had wounds to heal from. And I think I like made the choice to seek help before I really wanted to recover. And I think also because like a huge thing in my eating disorder for me was really, um, getting my needs for attention met, Mm -hmm. which like is a huge part of my healing. Um, you know, and like getting these needs that weren't being met for attention and affection, like having a way to get those met. And so really like the choice to seek recovery was coming from a place of more like I need attention and affection, Mm -hmm. which like is extremely beautiful and amazing. And so then I like ended up in treatment because I was like, you know, here's this thing that's 
taking over my life, but it's also a way for me to like garner more attention, which ended up like leading me into the hands of people who were able to guide me into like wanting to make the choice for a recovery. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's an interesting way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a journey and it's hard and it's like, it's hard to remember, you know, exactly everything that happened, but it was like all healing along the way, you know? And I think like, I'm trying to think about how, like, you know, when was the moment that like, I, I finally decided I wanted to commit to recovery, but I think it like, and maybe you know that it just doesn't like happen that way. Like yeah. it's like, you know, it happens 50 times and it happens like, you know, one time and then, and then the next day I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm, I need my eating disorder forever. But then it's like just the resiliency that's built up over time, over like therapy and the skills I'm learning and the, the needs that my eating disorder is meaning that I'm learning how to get met. And then all of a sudden it's like over time, the behaviors are serving less of a purpose or are, you know, serving me in different ways that I'm more able to understand, more able to get met and they're like less appealing. And I'm building relationships that are giving me attention and affection without me needing to be sick, you know? And then it's like, it just, yeah. Yeah. Like even very powerful, isn't it? I think that, you know, yeah, that process, I remember my, my first therapist when I was 16 and in recovery, she said to me, it's like you're climbing up a mountain. And so it's going to be Mm. how, when you climb a mountain, it, the, it's usually full of like these little tiny hills that you go up and down and right. up and down and up and down and you're, but you're right. really making your way up the mountain. You can't always see it because sometimes it's like, you're like on a bit of an up before you, yeah. you know, before you go down and, and that that's kind of what the journey is. There's like an upward, there's an overall upward momentum, but sometimes it's hard to, you know, to feel like that's actually happening because in order to get there, I mean, really what you're doing is you are laying down new brain neurology and, you know, that's like, that's a big, amazing feat for any of us, really, (laughs) you know, like to take on the gray matter of our brains and be like, no, I'm going to set a new course. And, you know, this is going to be my self-talk. This is going to be my self-care routine. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to slip and, you know, that's the radical acceptance I can bring to it is all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. I remember, like, at my treatment center during process groups and stuff, we would always be like, all right, we're, like, rewiring those neurons, you know, (laughs) when someone's having a particularly hard time. It's, like, just a reminder that what you're doing is, like, actually very, you know, as well as, like, spiritually radical, like, overthrow of your whole way of being it's also like scientifically as well yeah yeah Yeah. it is amazing so tell us about that like so did you do a lot of sort of group group therapy work and was there a sisterhood that developed in that yeah I mean I did um so in from May through August last year, I did um, start at a treatment center in Santa Cruz. I did partial hospitalization and in, in 
intensive outpatient treatment. Um, so it was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the craziest point of my life was the last three weeks of my senior year when I was like doing finals and, um, doing AP testing and graduating from high school while also being in therapy for 40 hours a week. Wow. So it was like, <laughs> it was like I had two full-time jobs and one of them was like graduating from high school and the other was like saving my own life, you know? Like, that is so intense. Yeah, it was intense and it was hard and then it ended and it got a lot better, but there was a lot of like crying and breakdowns. Um, yeah, I it, it, it just it sounds just completely exhausting as well. Like yeah. When I just think about the amount of energy that it takes to heal, like the just the amount of energy it takes to go in and feel those feelings and process mm-hmm. them and then like lay down something new and you know, that alone like yeah. you're saying, that alone is a full time job. And then when you add to that the academic rigors and right. AP testing, that's crazy. On top of that it sounds like it would be easy to even hit overwhelm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's like, it's not, you know, it's not something I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so good, like powering through it, um, really working hard, you know, like, it's like, <laughs> wow, this is really not my favorite time in my life. Like, <laughs> I think it's, it's like, I, I did it and was able to do it because my teachers were really willing to help me. And it was like, I had, you know, class two days a week and like I took final, took extra time and like turned in assignments late and stuff. And like my counselors and my teachers all knew what was going on. So they were willing to help me. Like, but I think, you know, under different circumstances and had it been longer, like I definitely would have or hope that I would have just devoted my full time to recovery because that's like, you know, way more important than school and graduating and anything, at least to me. Well, yeah. And speaking of which, you know, one of the sort of gems of that I've seen in your journey is that you actually made the very difficult decision to let go of getting into that theater program at at UCLA so that you could focus on your recovery. And you you have delayed your entrance to university by, Mm. you know, a year at least in order to Mm -hmm. take care of yourself, which which is really an incredible act of, of bravery. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was hard (laughs) too. Like, yeah, last summer was a lot. And that was like at the end of the summer too. So even like, you know, circling back around to your question about like my treatment center, like that was at a time where I had built this like, community that was encouraging me to listen to my intuition and listen to my heart and like do what was best for me. Um, and that's like, I know, like one of the things that I learned and am learning still is just like, I'm making this commitment to listen to my heart and listen to my intuition and listen to what I need. And that those things aren't always going to be like what's most convenient and what I really want from my mind, you know, like, my heart isn't always going to lead me down exactly the path that seems like easiest or as well trodden. It might be like, take a fork into the woods and then get lost. Right. And that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing thing too, to call back 
intuition and to call back that mm. deep well of wisdom and kind of realign our our body mind with that I'm curious like and this is kind of a big question but mm. where does courage come from for you I'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> take your I mean, time yeah I guess I'm I'm thinking about like um, just specifically like courage to listen to intuition, because I remember like we had this group, um, while I was in treatment where my therapist was talking about like intuition and she read from, um, eating in the light of the moon, which is an amazing book Mm -hmm. about recovery. Um, and you know, she read this chapter on intuition or part of it. And it was just kind of like, this is what intuition is and this is why we need to listen to it. And this is how it gets lost. And like, um, we were all just kind of talking about like how, you know, we, or at least I was talking about how I wanted to listen to my intuition. It sounded like a beautiful thing, but I was afraid that like, it just wasn't going to be there or was going to be wrong. Or, um, it's, it was, I don't know, like it had just, died right, <laughs> like it time. had been ignoring it um yeah. and so it's like, hard to kind of revive it and definitely and then trust it ultimately yeah yeah absolutely and it was scary to try because it was like you know running the risk of failure and running the risk of like I might be you know the exception to this beautiful thing that I really want to be a part of and I might put all this work into it and find out that like I and bad and it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it's like that really just that's like why I think of courage when I think of that, because I I feel like they're, you know, it's just the decision to to trust and to like take a running leap. But I think like when I think back to how I was able to like lead up to this huge decision where I relied like entirely on my intuition, which was the decision to not go to school. Mm-hmm. Like I I think it was, it's like, I think the image that comes to mind for me is like courage as a muscle. And it really like had not been (laughs) exercised, like for, you know, not the best analogy, maybe for my journey on eating disorder. (laughs) Like, like, you know, I had to. Ironic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was a great metaphor. Um, And like, I had to, um, you know, I couldn't just go and like jump off a cliff immediately because that muscle hadn't been used and hadn't been trained and wasn't, you know, used to doing its thing. So it was like little things like um, I would be like, okay, I am going to come to Santa Cruz because I wasn't living in Santa Cruz at the time, like two hours early and just do whatever I want to do and like follow my intuition Mm -hmm. and stuff. And maybe that would mean like being so afraid of listening to my intuition that I was like driving around the block two times being like, intuition, where do you want me to park? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, And just stuff like that. But then like, like this is, I'm thinking of a specific scenario where I did come to Santa Cruz early and I was driving around and I was like, intuition, I don't know what you want me to do. And then eventually I was just like, I'm just going to park here. And then as soon as I got out of the car, I saw this like old friend who I um, hadn't seen in like a year, just standing in the middle of the street. And I was like, oh, hi. Like, you know, and so I think like also I strongly believe that when when 
you know, we make the choice to listen to our spiritual self. And like when we make the choice to be guided, we're sent kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, like encouraging, encouraging signs that mm-hmm. we're being helped, you know, cause that definitely came from me. And that's like, that helped me continue in the journey of like exercising my courage. And then it would be like, you know, the decision to not go to a party that I really wanted to go to because like, I knew that I like behaviors might come up or I was already like not feeling great. And like my, I just needed to sleep and stuff like that. And just really making the decision to listen to my intuition and also like set times for my intuition to come in, like be like, I'm going to plan to be intuitive in this decision and then allow it and then listening to whatever came up. And I think like that, that's how it, how I exercise that courage. And so I guess I think like in other scenarios, the same thing of like planning to be courageous or planning to try a new thing like Mm -hmm. but starting small because I think like you know being perfectionistic in my idea of like courage and being like I should already be this super brave and super intuitive person after like not after denying myself for so long it's just like you know the same mentalities that fuel my eating disorder coming into my recovery which is like already something you know to watch out for isn't that funny how we do that I I remember doing that too in my recovery how there came that time where in perfectionism which I really think is the highest form of self-abuse yeah it got superimposed on the recovery journey so then suddenly I had to be perfect at recovering and I remember getting freed from that loophole was really an amazing one because yeah that, that was kind of like the essential piece that I needed to let go of which was you know that we don't have to be perfect at at anything and that it's about it's about the journey and not the destination and learning to see and appreciate life in shades of gray rather than Mm. that kind of really rigid black and white but just hearing you talk about the recovery of your intuition you know it's just so beautiful And so inspiring. And I'm especially touched by when you say that as you kind of took these baby steps and listening to your intuition, that you felt that that was met kind of by, I would say, a benevolent universe that was kind Mm -hmm. of reflecting back to you. Yeah, like, I got your back, babe. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So one of the things that I think young women who are in the throes of a of kind of an intense eating disorder or you know one way or another one of the things that they're as we know really kind of in combat with is the voice of the eating disorder right mm. which of course can be really loud and feel like it's banging pots and pans inside your head and mm. what was your process of um seeing through dismantling I would say disempowering the voice of Ed the voice of your eating disorder right absolutely I mean I think like it's really funny you know that like you phrase it that way because I think in a sense like it wasn't disempowering that voice like it was it was actually 
my process was more like empowering that voice and like validating, you know, and I'll I'll get, I'll explain that more. But like, Mm -hmm. I think at first I remember, um, like I didn't know, I couldn't distinguish between my eating disorder voice and like my voice, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, it's just me. Like there's, you know, and I didn't know how to recognize like the thoughts that were my eating disorder versus the thoughts that, you know, were my authentic self. And I thought I was just like this extremely volatile person. Um, and then I remember the first time I was like, Oh my God, that's my eating disorder. It was like, (laughs) I, I was driving and I was driving to treatment and I was like, this is so awesome. Like I'm going to be, you know, this amazing, I'm like, so I'm learning all this stuff about myself so authentically. And like, I have my whole life to really create like my authentic life because I really think I'm going to recover. And then all of a sudden, like I have this thought in my head of like me as this thin, beautiful person being like the paradigm of recovery. (laughs) And like, and I can like lose all this weight. And then I was like, whoa, <laughs> just that thought came out of nowhere. Like, and then I was like, oh my God, like my whole life, this idea of like, you know, these dreams that I have or these, these like ideas of success have always like ended up in the vision of me, like, you know, X number of pounds smaller. And like, mm-hmm. it's, and I was like, that's my eating disorder. Like, that's not what I want. That's not you know, what success is to me. And so then I just went through this phase where I was like, so excited to always be noticing like when my eating disorder would pop in. And it would always be kind of in those times where I would be like, you know, like, I, I'm really excited to go to school or something, you know, (laughs) ironically enough. And like, and then I was like, and use the gym. And then I was like, Oh, my God, that's, that's my (laughs) eating disorder, you know, and so like, it really, it took time to like recognize the thoughts and like, um, and then, you know, being in the perfect place to name them, like being in treatment where even at, at a meal, you know, I could be like, Oh my God, like I just had my eating disorder thought come up and then people would be like, "Wow, good job recognizing it. You know? So that was really awesome. Um, but then I think like just learning that, um, you know, this part, is really trying to serve a purpose for me and really like diving into what those, that purpose is. Mm -hmm. And then like, um, and then validating it and saying, so like for me, my eating disorder, the two things that come to mind most is like, it was serving the purpose of trying to make me feel accomplished and trying to make me feel like, you know, I was, I was, um, capable of something. And, you know, that's like why, that vision would come to mind anytime I was like, here's the thing I authentically want, then my eating disorder would jump in. And then I would be like, this is how I get closer to it. Um, And then also like serving the need of attention and affection. Mm -hmm. And so really just like, for me, it was really looking at my eating disorder voice. And anytime it came up being like, I hear you and thank you so much for wanting to bring me closer to these things that I need as a human being. Like, thank you so much for really being able to get me attention when I'm telling myself that like, that's not something I deserve. And thank you so much for like trying to make me feel like I can accomplish things. And like, I am a really worthy person. And this way that you're trying to do that is harming me. Mm -hmm. And I like, I 
don't, I'm not going to listen to it anymore and I can't and I don't want to. So can we maybe work together to try to find other ways that we can get these needs, needs met, you know? And so it was, it became more like my eating disorder instead of something I shut down or something I like pushed out of the way was really something I was listening to because it would come up and then I'd be like, okay, like what's the need right now? What is happening? Like, this is amazing. So it, it was like you befriended that voice and rather than like pushing it away, you drew it in to learn from it and work with it and find a cooperative way through is what it sounds like. Absolutely. And met it with attention and affection and love and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and it, it doesn't always want to meet you back. It's like, <laughs> that's, you know, where the work is. And yeah. Yeah. And so when it, what, what happens in those moments when it doesn't want to meet you back? I mean, I think it's, it's hard because it's like, it is part of me. Mm-hmm. And so part of me, you know, when like I say, okay, eating disorder, like I, I love you. what, what's happening? What do you need? And it's like, shut up. <laughs> I just want you to use behaviors. You know, it, it can feel like that's me and that's yeah. what I want. But there's like this modality of therapy. Um, it's called IFS. It's internal family systems. And it has this idea that like we have, you know, all these different parts of ourselves and then also have like our authentic self. So it's like the capital S self. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, those are the moments where it's kind of like, okay, so maybe I don't feel like myself is sitting in the captain's chair right now. I feel like my eating disorder has pushed me out of there. But if myself were to be sitting in the captain's chair, like what would it say? And then it's kind of like, okay, it would say like, I can just send my eating disorder love and let it sit there and, you know, let it throw a tantrum and be the loving mother who's standing there watching it, like waiting for it to calm down and is still sending it love and isn't going to leave it just because it's like being loud. And yeah. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like using behaviors and then break calling in that self afterwards Mm -hmm. or calling in that self during while the eating disorder is like calling the shots, you know, being like, Hey, I recognize that this isn't, my authentic self and I'm sending love toward myself as it's happening. Even when I like, you know, for whatever reason at this moment, don't have the entire capability of like stopping this in its tracks. This is just such a powerful thing. I mean, the, I just have this kind of visual of you like bringing that sense of mindfulness and, and heartful presence to bear witness to that voice and Mm -hmm. it sounds like even when it's when it's kind of amped up and chaotic they that you've like really learned this habit of being able to do that and that alone I think is just to me that's just such a compelling element to this recovery story because what you've essentially done is recognize the awareness that is witness to all of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that fundamentally, I think that resiliency is who we are, right? Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. heart, you know, muscle metaphor is actually wonderful because the heart is a muscle. Fundamentally, we can't actually break the heart, right? It's a (laughs) muscle. And Mm -hmm. so 
you know, giving the heart a workout, which definitely happens when you have an eating disorder, is really an amazing thing. But to just witness that, the chaos and that kind of Shakti gone awry um, maelstrom of, mm-hmm. of energy that can come in when the chemistry floods in the brain and mm. when, you know, when the neurons are firing or, you know, it can feel like misfiring. I mean, that you learn to do that. And it sounds like you've just learned how to kind of stand. And I would say that that, that is what it is to stand in the spiritual fire and, and like watch the world spinning all around you and, and literally kind of find that still point and recognize that for all of this energy and momentum, you know, this isn't who you are, right? Like it's mm-hmm. an aspect of the personality, but that who you are, you know, stands free of all of it. So, I mean, it's just, this is just an amazing um, piece to your story. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's cool to reflect back on, I think, because I think like, as I've, you know, gained more time under my belt in recovery or as I'm like getting more used to meeting the eating disorder voice with a, like affection and just writing out urges and like, as I'm not going undergoing like radical transformation anymore in the same context, like in other areas, definitely it's like, it just becomes more, um, normal, you know, when it's like, this yeah. is my normal life, but looking back and being like, wow, I really like radically stepped into the fire and like I'm now I'm just in it and that's just what life is like it's like it's you know both both parts are beautiful I think yeah and I love that too that both that sense of embrace that sense like Mm. again like what comes to me is kind of radical acceptance you know like things arising as they are and life arising on its own terms and us just kind of finding the strength to be able to meet what mm-hmm. what shows up in any given moment I mean that's just all kind of amazing and for I just want to do a little side note for anyone who's listening right now who is struggling through an eating disorder right now that kind of black and white thinking that you can get into with it where mm-hmm. it's like all or nothing or the same thing around recovery like oh I'm here I'm totally recovered or you know that the eating disorder is over here and I'm over here or, or the, this is a good food and this is a bad food Mm. that like, these are all the pieces that we work on when we're recovering from an eating disorder and we bring them, we embrace the whole thing and the whole picture and like come to a place of being able to hold all of these different aspects and elements of ourselves. And in this process, I think we discover what self-compassion really is, which I know I do kind of a, a small visualization segment on that in the Love the Skin You're In assembly, but really holding all aspects of ourselves is a big part of how we make that return to to wholeness itself. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's very beautiful. I'm, I'm curious to learn too from you, Naomi, about, um, kind of, yeah. Tell us about what you learned from your eating disorder. I mean, 
know a lot. Like I, I mean, I learned like the things I was talking about in terms of like, I really think like the biggest thing I learned is that I, I have needs and that if I don't meet them consciously and I don't meet them lovingly, like they will get met. And so, you know, like I had these needs for attention and for, you know, like whatever other things my eating disorder was meaning that I was ignoring. And then it's like my, my spirit and my soul is creative. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, you know, your mind, you're shutting down these things that I'm saying that I need. And so I'm going to get them because, you know, they're not called needs because we can ignore them. Like they're called needs because <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to get met. Right. And so it was like, I, you know, it was, it's, it's helpful both in understanding my eating disorder that it was meeting these needs that I was ignoring of like, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind because it's like what I'm still working on the most is the attention and the affection. And I was like, you know, you're, you're bad for needing these things. And then my mind was like, okay, but <laughs> we're still, we're still going to get them. So we're, um, you're going to get sick and then you're going to get a lot of attention. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's like, not what I would recommend, but it got the need met. And then I was like, okay, I can meet this need by myself. And then all of a sudden, like the eating disorder was a lot less appealing. And so I think like, I I mean, and then also just like such a wealth of things in terms of like my, the importance of like my spiritual connection with self and like how, you know, it was still there, but was muted and like through, you know, and also like resiliency in terms of like, I was able to get that back and, mm-hmm. and I guess like, you know, also a lot, a lot about food, a lot about like our, you know, how our relationship with food can be like very spiritually representative of our relationship with self and the ways in which we're denying ourselves or I'm denying myself and the ways in which I'm like, you know, whatnot. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like, um, my, my, um, therapist that I had when I was in treatment, she's very like, she was always the person who would bring in stuff that was like a little bit iffy or a little bit triggering to push us a little bit more, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was actually there recently mentoring and she brought in this book and it's called like a guide to weight loss or something like that. (laughs) And we were all like, what the fuck? (laughs) But it it was, it was like, um, it was about spiritual weight loss and like how it was a book and it, the title was ironic. And it was like this book about how our relationship with food is like one of the best indicators of how our spiritual relationship with self is mm-hmm. and how like, um, you know, maybe if we are denying ourselves love or denying ourselves all these things that we need, we try to like meet those through food either by, further denying ourselves or like not listening to our body, you know, like I think like for me, the behavior of like binging could come up a lot around ways that I was denying myself in my life. And like, I think it's, it's hard to fully remember like the, you know, one-to-one analogies of everything that I learned, but Mm -hmm. just like the concept that 
I really had a lot to learn from my relationship with food because it was very symbolic of my relationship with self. And like the more that I fed myself and nourished myself like emotionally and spiritually and um, like, I don't know, psychosomatically, like the more easily I was able to call that into my relationship with food as well. And like, you know, the more I was able to pay attention to my wants and needs in my life, the more I was able to be like, this is the food I want. And this is, you know, the, the food I need. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, but like, it's very much, you know, when we think about like, um, kind of Ayurvedic medicine where they're like, you know, there's all these signs and symptoms when something is, is going wrong or is not like working in the self. Mm -hmm. I think like, our relationship with food is very much a sign and symptom of what's not working in the self. Yeah. The word that keeps kind of floating by in my brain right now is nourishment Mm. and what it is to really receive, receive nourishment, be open Mm. to nourishment and, and yeah, maybe like see even seeking out nourishment. But mm. a, a lot of it sort of brings to bear that, I think, that early need that we all had for nourishment, for drawing in that sort of life force energy from the time that we're infants. And <laughs> it's it's really, yeah, it's an amazing thing to, um, to yeah. open to it fully and to open mm. literally to the nourishment of life. Definitely. Do you want to know? Do you want to know kind of a funny story? Yeah, of course. Okay. So when I was born, um, I got home and pretty much ended up straight back in the hospital because I wouldn't eat and I like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't breastfeed. Um, And so (laughs) I don't know. There's some. (laughs) No trauma for you, like wow. whatever was going on there. Wow, I'm very indicative of you know where my life path would lead me. Um, but that is amazing. Yeah, right. Then, like the neurology was laid down for it at a wee 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 age. Like you came yeah. out and you were like, not having it. I know. Rye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was bottle fed because I would, I wouldn't breastfeed. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I always I think about it a lot just in terms of like, I don't know, spiritual and like ancestral, you know, how we carry trauma. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what was going on for me there? Like already. <laughs> right. Yeah. From the earliest possible age, you were like, yeah, no, I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drink from the well there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. But in terms of like nourishment and what you're saying and like opening ourselves to it, Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking back to like um, the book that my therapist read, like a guide to weight loss one or whatever. And um, there was this part about how like the things that we feel are um, lacking in our lives, like are the ones that we aren't open to. I'm trying to think of like how to best explain it. Like it was kind of talking about how, 
when we feel like we are, you know, not receiving enough love or like not like people aren't showing us enough love in our relationships, it's more of a sign that we aren't open to the love that's there and aren't open to receiving Mm -hmm. more so than like it's not being given. And so I think like, you know, the reason that I was able to nourish myself with very little practice was because I wasn't, I didn't have to like relearn. Like there were already all these ways in which it was happening, but I just wasn't open to receiving them. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, it's more about learning to open ourselves to receiving, I think, than entirely having to learn how to do it because our souls are already doing it and it's already there. It's just like, we have to learn how to see it and how to let ourselves receive. Yeah. You know, recovery is so deep and so multi-layered, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. I'm interested in hearing about, um, how being an activist has encouraged you in your recovery process. Mm, Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a huge part of why I was able to like continue in recovery and why I sought out recovery in the first place was kind mm-hmm. of like, here I am, like this person who's learning all these amazing things about like equality and what I want for the world and what I want to be able to fight for. And like, um, you know, even around like women's, women's bodies or everyone's bodies and like body image and and all these things that I'm like fighting for and body positivity. And then at the same time, I'm like, you know, trying to destroy myself for not looking a certain way or, you know, like that's what it was presenting itself as. And so I think like this desire to really authentically be able to be an activist and be able to like speak up for people and help people and like fight for the things that I want Mm -hmm. is was able to just like fuel me in recovery because it was like, okay, you know, I believe these are these beliefs that I hold really strongly. And so I was more able to see like, okay, this, this eating disorder is not in line with those beliefs. Like my belief that all bodies are beautiful. And like the fact that I am so passionate about that, that I want to fight for it. And I want like, you know, to, to make things happen around that and like, fight for media to be more inclusive and more like representative of reality. And then like within myself, I'm waging this war against my body. Like, so it really helped me to like lay down arms against myself and like Mm -hmm. to pick up arms against like, you know, inequality and oppression. And I think like, also like, I think, um, the um, election <laughs> that happened this November um, mm-hmm. and the result of it came mm-hmm. during a very, very difficult time in my life and, and in my recovery um, where like, you know, personal things that just happened that were extremely hard and like so unexpected. And, um, and then all of a sudden it was like this you know, Donald Trump got elected and like, I wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And it was very much like, a, of course, the perfect opportunity for like my eating disorder and my other addictions to like swoop in and, and save the day. But I know that there was this part of me that was like, I need to be of my best health and like best ability to be able 
to be involved in like creating change during this time. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I am not going to like not feed myself and not nourish myself because of Donald Trump. Like I, <laughs> I need to be able to fight in these wars, you know, right. like and fight in this revolution, you know, whether, you know, if at the time, like that was a literal analogy for me or just being able to like have the energy to take care of myself and like, um, so that I can keep going to protests and keep writing to senators and keep, you know, doing all these things that are Mm -hmm. so important to who I am as a human and as a person and as a like citizen and, and as, you know, an active participant in (laughs) this world, which I'm not able to do if my whole attention is going to my eating disorder. Right. And And so you, you let, like, you let the events of the world become fodder that actually further emboldened you in this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, okay, I have this, this like poster up in my room and it says, be a rebel and stop hating yourself. Mm -hmm. And so like, (laughs) that was something that came up for me really strongly during the election too, was I was like, okay, like these are going to be the people you know, who are in power now, who are the ones who are like promoting this idea that you as a, as a like female presenting person, as a female identifying person, like have to look and be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm actively going to reject all of that. Like I, I stopped wearing makeup in November, Mm -hmm. um, because I was like, I'm, I'm not going to (laughs) like, like the, you know, like I, I'm not going to do it. And that was like one way that that came up, came up for me. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, let myself tell myself that like, I need to look a certain way because the people who are saying that are the ones who I'm trying so hard to fight against, you know? Yeah. 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 So that's amazing. You just took that into your own personal life and ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really incredible. Yeah. it, It, um, it makes me think about, what was I going to say, how um, this, you know, one of the things that occurs to me is generally those of us that struggle with an eating disorder or have struggled with an eating disorder in the past tend to be possessed of a highly sensitive nature. Mm. So sort of being a highly sensitive person, I think, and being generally often empaths, puts us Mm. in this kind of unique uh, place of perception, right? Mm. Wherein I feel as though I'm not just feeling what might be going on inside of my own sort of body mind complex, but I'm also picking up on, you know, with these sensitive, invisible antennae that I have, you mm-hmm. know, I'm also picking up on the sort of all of the energy in this were inside of the larger geopolitical system that is at play right now. And so, I mean, I, I just think that that kind of reflects some of what you're saying. And sometimes I think even when we're having a rough day, sure, sometimes that can come from something that is kind of like internally triggered or sparked. And sometimes it can come from something that just happens to be going on in the world. And mm. we feel it because of that really like highly attuned perceptive and sensitive nature that we have. Definitely. Definitely. Like, um, yeah, you know, through my, 
whole time in treatment and like time afterwards mentoring and still being involved in the treatment center. Like I've learned so much about how sensitive people with eating disorders tend to be like how we're just like these incredibly as a rule, even like these highly sensitive people and these like incredibly compassionate people and empathetic people where like our modern world isn't set up to deal with that and isn't set up to like, um, you know, take care of that. And so like to do that, we like develop these eating disorders to like mute our sense of self and like mute our empathy and all this stuff. And, you know, the watching so many people's journey, like back into compassion and back into empathy and watching my own is so incredible. <laughs> to yeah. Gift, uh, yeah. Well, but definitely. You, sorry. Can you speak a little bit more about sensitivity as a strength? And what you've discovered in that for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's something I'm still, still discovering. Like I, I look at my sensitivity and my sense of compassion as one of my biggest strengths. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel like that. And I think it's like, for me, the way I was able to start to feel that way was like being surrounded by people who recognize their sensitivity as their strength. Mm. you know, like at, at my treatment center and with my therapist who was like, you know, I, she was like, I remember cause we had this like family session with my parents and my parents really didn't like her because she was very much like woo woo, like, you know, hippie, <laughs> loving, compassionate, like signed all her emails with peace. And like, <laughs> and then she, you know, had this session with my parents and she was like, yeah, they don't like me. And she was like, I don't really care. I like me. Like, and she was like, <laughs> He was like, I, I love my sensitivity. I love the fact that like, I'm incredibly compassionate and you know, they don't get to tell me that that's not how I feel and, and whatnot. And then like, you know, me being like, oh my God, that can happen. <laughs> like that right. can, because I think like, it's sort of that idea of like authenticity as well, where like authentically I did and have always loved my sensitivity, but there are all these external factors or internal protectors trying to tell me that that wasn't what I should be feeling. And so it was more of like letting go of those aspects and letting go of like the idea that I shouldn't love my sensitivity more than like garnering any sort of love for it, because I think there was already an abundance of love already there. Um, and then it's sort of just like being surrounded by example and being like these women and these people who I admire are all incredibly sensitive. And that's like my favorite part about them. And so like, and that's something I can recognize in myself too. And that's like super exciting, <laughs> you know? And yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And the circle kind of completes itself and we wind back in community and back yeah. in what it is to have those reflections in the faces and lives of other women that are making choices to you know take a really bold stand for what they want to see more of in the world and for for really preserving um the beauty and the need for softness and sensitivity and for more feminine values to fundamentally prevail so that we can really allow this world to soften and, and heal and, you know, become more hospitable for all beings. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, so we we have a little under 10 minutes left. So why don't you chat with us about how you've been able to maintain your recovery? For sure. <laughs> um, I mean, so I've been graduated from treatment for almost a year, um, a year on August 16th. So it's coming up, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout that time, I feel like I've definitely been able to maintain recovery and been able to maintain the idea that I'm in recovery. Like I've definitely had lapses or relapses and like times where things got hard and behaviors come up, but I've really been able to like maintain a recovery focused and recovery centric life. And I think there's like, there's a few ways and a lot of ways that I feel like that's been able to happen for me. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was that like, I didn't go to treatment and then like work on my behaviors and get to a place of like behavior maintenance and then be like, okay, I'm cured (laughs) and then leave, you know? And I think that's like something that is very easy to believe to be like, okay, I worked on, you know, this, this symptom of the bigger problem, which is the eating disorder. And like, it's under control now. And so I'm fine. And, and that's like, I totally understand it. And then, you know, we go back into the world and then things happen that are hard and then we don't have our eating disorder anymore. And then like it just, you know, other, other things come up or the eating disorder comes back, et cetera. And so I think like for me, the best choice I made for my recovery was in this, like it's hand in hand with not going to school is that I decided to stay in Santa Cruz and dive into the real work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like started with, um, a therapist to whom I have an incredibly strong attachment. Um, because for me, a lot of my work is around attachment and like is healing from complex trauma, which happens like in attachment and in relationship and often in therapeutic relationship. And so I have this like incredible attachment to my therapist and I was like, all right, like (laughs) let's dive in, let's do the work. And that's like what I've been doing for the past year And so I think that is really like a huge part of why I've been able to maintain my recovery because my eating disorder was like a way to try to get healing for all these wounds or to try to like distract myself from all these wounds. And so now that I'm actively doing the work to heal from them or to like take care of myself and acknowledge the wounds, like my eating disorder doesn't have a purpose right now because, you know, and so that's like been an incredible um, way that I've been able to maintain recovery is like, you know, making sure that, yeah. And then I think also like allowing myself, a big thing for me has been allowing myself to receive more support than I think I need, or even more support than I do need. Like I, I moved, um, from home into like as an outpatient client into a house that was owned and maintained by my treatment center. And so it was like, it was like recovery centric housing, um, where I lived with like other people who were in recovery and we had like three house meetings a week and had all this support that was even like, you know, as an outpatient may have been more than I needed, but was incredibly helpful. And so I really like allowed myself to have that and to receive that and to live there like as long as I wanted to, and as long as I needed to, um, or more than I needed to. And then like, I, I still meet with my therapist twice a week. And I know that like, I could, I could handle once a week and I could do it, 
but it's like, that's not where recovery happens for me is like pushing myself into the next thing and having these ideas of like what my recovery needs to look like and what the timeline is and like what my goals are. Like, it's like, my goal is to give myself as much as I need or more Mm. and more and to like really be compassionate about it and to be an advocate for that. So like I, you know, I advocate with my insurance and I'm like, this is what I need and this is what I'm, I'm going to do. And like, this is what you're going to pay for basically. Um, Amazing. To continue receiving the support from the therapist that I have. And like, even as I'm going and I'm moving, I'm still going to meet with her twice a week. And like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be mentoring at, my treatment center, the location they have in San Francisco. And it's like, that's not because it's, I'm not ready to go and I'm not ready to be on my own. And I'm not ready to just see my therapist twice a week, but it's because like, why, why do I need to do that? What, what's wrong with like giving myself more support than I need? And Mm -hmm. I feel like the allowance for that is really, Mm -hmm. and the attitude that prompts that is like part of why and how I've been able to maintain my recovery and again, I'm, I'm feeling the, the tones of nourishment mm. when I hear you talk right now, just opening to what is going to be nourishing for you and what you are needing week to week and, and what is going to uphold and sustain and, and nourish you and choosing that moment after moment after moment. I mean, this has just been such an inspiring phone call. Mm. I, I think this is wow. going to be such a helpful conversation for young women everywhere. And and so just thinking of our listeners, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you had a few words of wisdom to convey on a closing note, what's your message to young women of the world? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just would want you all to know that I, I believe you're doing the best you can, no matter what that looks like, that I think that that's beautiful, um, and incredible that you're strong and a miracle and that you have like everything you need within you. And I think like those ideas can get lost and like the idea that we're doing the best we can at any given moment is one that's hard to reconcile with maybe, um, when our best doesn't look how we want it to, but it's like the most important thing in recovery to me is being like, I'm always doing my best with what I have and the skills I have. And so that would be the message that I would want anyone listening or want you listening to, to really take home. So beautiful. Mm. Well, Naomi, you are so bold and so brave and so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that we got to share this hour together. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) So we've been chatting with Naomi Oppenheim from Santa Cruz, California, who is just an amazing inspiration and example of what a life of recovery and a recovered life can look like. So we hope that you're all as inspired as I am right now. My eyes are welling up and wet with light. So thank you, Naomi. And looking so forward to connecting with you, you know, as your journey continues. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
Okay, have a beautiful day. Thank you, you too. This is Bree Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world.